we would like to remind you that you're getting ready. You ready? Okay. Breathe. Breathe. No pressure. Um, uh, we would like to remind you that all speakers share their own experience, strength, and hope. They do not speak for the convention, Region 2, or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And please remember to silence all cell phones, pagers, or electronic devices. Uh, please join. Oh, yeah. Please join me in welcoming Josh from Los Angeles, who will share for 30 minutes. Josh? My name is Josh, and I am a real compulsive overeater. All right, are there any other compulsive overeaters here besides myself? I am in the right place. Um, thank you, Pamela and Jack, for asking me to share my experience, strength, and hope. Today is my OA birthday, June 29th. And today I celebrate 11 years of abstinence. Um, but as, um, as I've learned in this program, the world record for abstinence is 24 hours. So I still got to get through today. Um, but, um, my top weight is 260 pounds. Um, so I, I don't remember a time where I wasn't a compulsive overeater. Um, my favorite story to tell was I was about eight years old and I was going to be going on a car trip with my friend and his dad. It was to be about an hour and a half car trip. And I got all excited for it, and I went to uh, the pantry at my parents' house, and they had all sorts of goodies. And I grabbed two grocery bags, and I filled them with food. And I remember still to this day exactly what I put in those grocery bags. It was very exciting stuff. And I get into the car, very excited for the car trip, and my friend's dad turns to the back seat, and he says, you know, Josh, there's no eating in my car. <laughs> and I was angry. I was pissed, I was resentful, I was scared, because I didn't know how I was going to get through that hour and a half car trip without my food. And that is what it was like for me. Um, I'd get home from school, my mom's an amazing cook, um, and uh, my first question for my mom would always be, what's for dinner? And um, a lot of times it would be something great, and it would make my night. You know, everything was fantastic, I was going to have a good dinner. Um, but then sometimes my mom would be making something that Josh wasn't in the mood for. And, um, I would be, I'd be resentful. I'd be scared. I'd be angry. And I wouldn't know how I was going to get through the night without having the dinner that I thought that I deserved, uh, the dinner that I wanted. And uh, trust me, I never went hungry. Um, but just not having the food that I wanted when I wanted it, that was enough to, to ruin my night. And that really is um, what it was like um, before I came into program. Um, the food, I, I was always heavier, you know, growing up, and the food and, and, and my weight became such a big part of my identity, you know, and I'd be made fun of a lot um, for, for, being, for being an overweight kid, and I'd have a lot of trouble with Little League and sports and different things, um, and, um, and I'd get made fun of for, for being fat. And um, I got some advice, which was, well, if I laugh um, with the people, then they, it'll take the power away. They won't, um, they won't make fun of me as much if I, you know, if I laugh at myself. And I took that to be that I'd start making fun of myself before anyone else would make fun of me. 
And it became such a big part of my identity, being overweight, you know, and, um, and, and, and being an overeater, that, um, that I thought that, and I, and, I, and I made friends from it, you know, in middle school. People thought I was funny and cool, and I had this rap song all about going to fast food places and all this cool stuff. And I thought that people only liked me um, because I had the weight and because, because I ate. And it was a way for me to justify um, the way that I needed to eat. Um, that's, that, that was what I was doing. And um, before I came into this program um, 11 years ago, I did not want to look like this. I was afraid to look like this. Um, I didn't think people would like me if I looked like this. I didn't want to have to be vulnerable and real with people. Um, and, I, and by keeping on the weight and having that be my identity, I was able to eat the way that I needed to eat. Um, and it allowed me to not have to have real relationships with other people. I couldn't um, have intimate relationships with people. Um, I just wasn't, I, I wasn't able to. And today, you know, I'm, I'm in a healthy, um, healthy relationship. And that is a miracle of this program. Because I could not have done that. I couldn't have been um, vulnerable in that way before I came into program. So, um, you know, I was 13, I was having my bar mitzvah, right? And all I remember was all the foods that we picked out. And it was really exciting. That's literally what I remember from my bar mitzvah. And um, October will be four years that I, that, I, um, had gotten, that I got married. And I went to my wedding. And it was amazing. It was about getting married. <laughs> it wasn't about the food. <laughs> and that is a miracle of this program. Um, I have a threefold disease. I have the physical emotional, and spiritual. And the, when I came into program, the physical was easy for me to see. You know, I couldn't, literally couldn't stop eating. I'd start and I couldn't stop. Um, I was over 260 pounds, all that stuff. The physical, I could see it. Um, but I didn't understand that I had an emotional um, disease. And I certainly didn't understand that I had a spiritual disease. Um, that I had a God problem. Um, because... It was when I came to this program that I realized I had a God-sized hole. And I was trying to fill it with food. And that didn't work. Um, And I came to this program, and you guys taught me that I have to fill that with my higher power. Um, And then I could, you know, I got to my wedding, and I was able to connect on those three levels. I was able to connect on a physical level, and on an emotional level, and on a spiritual level. And that is a miracle of this program. So a little bit about what it was like, because... I get nostalgic, and I know that there are some newcomers um, in this room, and I also know that there are going to be some newcomers listening to this podcast. And I really want to talk to the newcomer. Um, and um, I, I got to college, and it got really out of hand with the food. You know, I had my license, and I could eat whatever I wanted. Um, I like to say that I know every single 24-hour drive through in an hour radius um, of Los Angeles, although about it, I went to school an hour west of here, um, in Claremont, and so I like to say I could do it. I knew all the 24-hour drive-throughs in an hour radius. And literally, I'd get to college, and I'd go to the dorm um, for the dinner, and they'd have it earlier. You know, it'd be at like five or six o'clock. You could go in there and have all you could eat dinner. And then um, after, I would go to the drive-through. I'd go to the one that closes on 1 a.m. on weekdays and 1:30 a.m. on weekends, and um, I would order double portions of food. And then um, I would go again at three or four in the morning oftentimes, to the 24-hour one. And I'd get double portions again. And occasionally I'd either throw in a donut shop in there or have that instead. 
Um, and that was, that was what it was like. And I'd be sitting there um, after eating all this food with diarrhea, literally on the toilet, physically in pain. And I'd be thinking and saying to myself, Josh, you can't, you can't eat like this. You can't do this to yourself. And then, you know, 45 minutes later, an hour later, hour and a half later, um, when I was physically able to eat again. Not when I was hungry, because very rarely before I came to this program did I experience real hunger. Um, but when I was physically able to eat again, I would be eating. And that's what it was like. Um, I, um, another, another interesting thing that I used to do is, you, I hear people all the time in program talking about, you know, putting up the drapes and, uh, you know, being alone and isolating and putting on the TV and eating, you know, by yourself and all that stuff. My, my experience was that um, it wasn't until I came into program that I was actually able to um, eat by myself um, because um, I felt like if someone else was with me when I was eating, that it was okay, that I wasn't doing anything wrong. So I would literally, you know, in college, find other people to go with me to the drive through so that I could feel like what I was doing was okay. Um, of course, they'd be eating way less than I was. And the same person that would come with me at 1 a.m. wouldn't want to come with me at 4 a.m., so I'd have to find someone else. But it was great, because, like, I was into the food, and other people were experimenting with other things in college, so I'd always be like, well, I'm sober, I can drive. Um, and that's how I'd, you know, get people to go with me. Um, but I felt like if someone else was there with me, um, that I could do it. Um, Another story I want to tell is I was in, um, I was in high school and, um, and they were talking about, well, what you, they said in, in, in class, Josh, what do you want to do for a career? And I went home to my parents, very loving parents. They, had, they said, what do you guys think? You know, and they said, well, Josh, they had great advice. They said, Josh, if you find a job um, that you love, then it won't feel like work. If you do something that you want to be doing, it won't feel like a job. So, well, that's a good idea. So I thought about it and I thought about it. And I came up with it. I was going to be a food critic, okay? Because that way I could get paid to eat. You know, I thought I had it all figured out. It was great. You know, I'd even, like, started writing articles for the high school newspaper. Um, my problem was I wasn't very critical, okay? So, you know, and, um, and, I, and I'd be critical of things that nor normal people weren't, concerned about, like the price of the food or the, the portions, you know, those were a really big deal to me. Um, but, um, but yeah, I thought I had it figured out because I thought if I could get paid to eat, that was it, you know? Um, and thank God today, um, I have a job that, that, I, that I do love and that it doesn't feel like work. Um, and it's not being a food critic. <laughs> that is a miracle of this program. But really... The reason it's a miracle, this program, because it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm doing the you know, greatest job in the world that makes all the money in the world if I don't have this program. Because if I don't have this program, I'm going to be miserable doing it. It really has to do with what pair of glasses, literally, that I'm wearing. You know, if I am, if I am abstinent, if I am working this program, if I'm calling my sponsor, if I'm going to meetings, um, if I'm connecting with my higher power, then it doesn't, then I'm able to accept life on life's terms today and able to see the good today. 
But when I'm in my disease, and when I'm in the food, and then when I'm in my head, and when I take my will back, then it doesn't matter how great things are, I can't see it. And when things are, when, when things are tough, I'm not, pick, you know, I'm not picking up the phone. I'm not doing that stuff. And um, that's why so, you know, so much that, that I feel the happy, joyous, and free today is as a result of this program. The reason I'm able to have a healthy relationship today with my wife is because I have this program. What is it? If I want a better wife, I've got to be a better husband. You know, before I would have been, it's all you, 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 and I wanted to be right. And that was it. All I cared about before I came into the program was being right. And, um, and today, we can be talking, and it'll start getting to that place where we're about to, you know, fight and, and go at it. And instead of having to react, I can take a step back. I can think about, I can, I can just, just listen. That's a miracle. I can just listen. I don't always have to actually have a response. <laughs> That's a miracle of this program. Before, I felt like I always had to respond. I can take the step back. I can pray, and I can just listen. And if I don't have the response, that's okay. Um, but sometimes I do respond, and then I have to clean that up later. Um, and that's okay, too, um, as long as I can, you know, do those inventories and do that. Um, I want to talk about, um, well, I was going to want to talk about my sponsor now. But, yeah, I do want to talk about my sponsor. Um, because my sponsor, he's my sponsor because he has what I want. He has a relationship with his family that I want. He's like one of the most patient people I know with his family, and it's amazing. He has a relationship with his higher power that I want. Um, and he's been abstinent over 30 years. He, um, he, and he works the program that I want. He makes more outreach calls in this program than anybody I know. And he hasn't been, been my sponsor um, since, since the beginning. We started working together about six or seven years ago. Um, but, um, but I call him every day because that's what I need. I need to be calling my sponsor every day. So when I start sponsoring people, I tell them, you know, that I expect them to call me every day because that's what I do. Or that's my, I say my experience is I call my sponsor every day. Um, and he never, ever gives me advice. And I'll ask him all the time for advice. Um, but he'll never give it to me. It's always, well, Josh, can I share with you my experience? And I'm like, of course, I've been calling you every day for the last seven years. I want your experience. Um, and his experience is, is o- it's, it's always the same. He always says the same. It's always basically the same. He says, Josh, well, my experience is, and whatever, you know, comes up, I'll call him and tell him what's going on. He said, well, my experience is, if I write about it and if I pray about it, my higher power will give me the right answer. And so it's always like, well, Josh, have you written about it? It's like, no, of course not. And, um... Josh, have you, have you prayed about it? And no, you know. Um, and it's, but, it's, but it's that simple. And it's, 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 it's true. That is my experience. That when I do write about it and when I do pray about it, God will give me the answer. It's not always the answer that I want. <laughs> um, but it is, it is the right answer. Um, and that I can see when I am coming to the program and calling, you know, my sponsor and going to the meetings and working the steps and all that stuff. And when I'm not, I am out there taking back my will and trying to run the show and do it myself and not understanding why it's not all working out and sitting there, you know, completely, you know, um, powerless over everything. Um, and, um, and it's, you know, it really is, it really is that simple. 
So what, what happened? I came in really young, if you can't tell through the, the podcast. I came in at 19 years old um, into program. My dad is my Eskimo into this program. Um, you may have seen him speak before. He looks exactly like me, but add another 30 years. Um, but um, he, um, I had seen him growing up, going through different um, you know, diets and different stuff. We'd be going up and down with his um, weight and his food, and then he found this thing, Overeaters Anonymous. 15 years ago, he came in. Over 15, February was 15 years he came in to Overeaters Anonymous. And something was different. Um, he, I now understand that he had sort of a sense of serenity around the food that he didn't have before. And um, he had been in program for, you know, over four years. Um, and I was going into my junior year of college and started doing exercise for the first time in years. And I'm not someone that yo-yo dieted before I came into program. I was all yo, you know, it was all, you know, going up. Um, the... Um, the only time I had lost weight was, and this is for Jack, we did a trip to Israel, you know, um, and uh, during the junior year of high school, and I got back, I'd lost like 30 pounds from all the exercise that we had done hiking around, and sometimes there were limited foods and whatever, and everyone said, oh, the hard part's losing the weight, now you just have to, I mean, now you just have to keep it off, and I consciously decided to gain the weight back and more because that was my identity, and I thought people only liked me because of the food, you know. I was in charge of the pie eating contest in high school, it was very exciting, um, they named it after me. It was, amazing. It was like my greatest victory. Um, but, um, the, um, but I consciously didn't want to look like this. So I, you know, gained the weight back. So I hadn't had experience, you know, um, dieting and trying to do it on my own. And I was doing exercise for the first time. And I thought, do I want to take a look at this food thing? Do I want to do this? Do I, do I want to actually, you know, think about eating less? Um, and I asked my dad about Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't know anything about it. Um, I asked him about it. Instead of talking to me about it, instead of giving me literature, he took me to my first meeting. And we went to the Serenity Sunday meeting at Roxbury Park in Beverly Hills, which is still my home meeting, although we're now meeting for the next year at La Cienega Park. Um, And um, we um, went to the newcomer meeting from 10 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. And we went to the uh, main meeting from 10.30 a.m. to 12. And um, I was saying earlier, I love that meeting because it's always Sunday and it's always at the park. It's amazing. Every week. Um, but um, the, uh, so I went to, the, went to the 1030 meeting and the guy got up there and he said that he had lost over 100 pounds and he had been maintaining the weight loss for like over five years. And he had this huge belt buckle that, w- you know, showed like his weight loss. And I'd never heard of anything like that, um, someone keeping that weight off for that long. And he talked about food in the ways that I've just described it to you today. And I knew right then, you know, that I was, that I am a compulsive overeater. And then he started talking about God and all this other stuff, and I had no idea why. Um, but, um, but I was intrigued enough, you know. Um, after the meeting, a guy came up to me. Um, he was about my age at the time. He was in his 30s. Um, younger guy, looked totally normal. He said, Josh, I used to be 400 pounds, and here's my number. So I was really intrigued, so I called him. And he said, Josh, before you make up your mind on this program, go to six meetings. If you go to enough meetings, you, um, you might even hear your story. And 
it was by like my third or fourth meeting that I knew that I was willing to go to any lengths. Um, I have heard my story in this program, in these rooms from people that on the outside, we have nothing, nothing in common. Um, you would think that we would never, you know, relate. We, um, but as soon as we start talking about the food and this disease and the way that we think, we are exactly the same. And I can connect, you know, and understand and connect and talk with those people more than I can talk with people that I grew, you know, that I grew up with or in my family, you know, and that kind of stuff because we speak the same language. And it's, it's really amazing, you know, how many times I have heard um, my story um, in this program. So um, I, you know, was going to enough meetings and I heard these people talking about things like um, the 12 steps, um, which I didn't know what those were. I mean, I heard them read, but I didn't understand. I heard people talking about abstinence and food plans. I didn't understand what that stuff was. Um, and I heard people talking about sponsors. And I was given good advice, which was that a sponsor will show you, you know, this stuff. And I, you know, got my first sponsor. I was having a hard time finding a guy to sponsor me. So I went to a Wednesday night men's stag meeting and got through the whole meeting. I, and, and, then af, and then they didn't introduce sponsors. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, so after the meeting was over, when we're go- getting back to willing to go to any lengths, after the meeting was over, in front of the whole group, I said, look, I've been coming to program a couple weeks. Like, I really want to find a sponsor. Like, can someone help me? And three guys came up to me and gave me their number and so that they would sponsor me. And that's how I got my first sponsor. So with my first sponsor, we worked out my abstinence and my food plan. Um, we wrote it out and figured it out for me. Um, my abstinence has to do with how much I eat because I am a compulsive overeater. Um, it doesn't matter what I'm eating. If I'm overeating, that's going to make me want to keep going and going. Like, um, I have the physical allergy, like in the doctor's opinion. If I start, I can't stop. Um, it doesn't matter what it is if I, you know, eat um, compulsively, um, if I overeat. And um, so my, my absence is three meals and an optional snack. And my food plan has to do with what I eat. Um, and that is, I have broken down into three different categories. I have red light foods, which are foods that if I start, I, I can't stop. Literally, they're like alcoholic foods for me. Uh, one is too many, and too many is never enough. Um, and, um, and then I have yellow light foods, which are foods that I can eat, but I, sometimes they got to get put to the red, <laughs> or I need to be careful if they're coming up all the time. And the green light foods are really exciting because those are the foods I can eat, and usually it's not an issue. Um, so those are great. And um, I, what was important for me was to work it out with a sponsor. And I always do that when I start sponsoring someone. That's usually the first thing that we'll do is figure out the absence and figure out together. Because if my sponsor doesn't know what my absence is, um, then I'm going to want to define it in a way that I'm gonna, just going to keep eating the way that I was and justify it and call it abstinence. Um, but because I had to take an honest look at my food and work it out with my sponsor, we both know when I'm abstinent. It's very clear. And that, for me, was, was really important um, in my recovery to have a clear understanding of what my abstinence is. Now, my abstinence in my food plan is different than my sponsor's, and it's different than other people that I sponsor. It really has to do with what my problem foods are. So, you know, dessert is a big thing for me, and that's red light. And then I have people that I sponsor, and it's okay for them. It doesn't work. You know, it's like I've, I have um, binge dreams sometimes. And, I'll, um, and I haven't had one in a while, but I'll do these amazing things. 
Like I'll have a dream and I'll eat one piece of cake. And then I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh my God, you know, I broke my absinthe. <laughs> and I'll, but then I'll realize it was a dream because I only ate one piece of cake. <laughs> the only time I've ever done that is in the dreams, literally. So, um, you know, I'd wake up in sweats like, oh my God. But, um, but that, and that's the truth because literally I'd start and I, and I wouldn't be able to stop. So my, my first sponsor and I, we also started going through the steps. You know, we started working the steps out of the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was really worried because I got in in June, as you guys know, and then I was going to be going off to, um, off to college in, in, in the fall, and I was worried. And it was, it was funny. I ran into a guy today um, who lived in Laverne, which was close to um, where my school was. And I had... Um, I figured out what the meetings were. And I had a meeting on Tuesdays in Claremont that I went to that was a meditation meeting. And I asked him if that meeting was still going. He said, yeah, he was there on Tuesday um, at that meeting. And I kept going to that meeting. I was the secretary of that meeting, you know, during, you know, during school because I needed to be going to meetings. Um, and I remember we read, they do a reading for the meditation. And um, what, during the meditation, it would be, I think it was like a it was like a 10-minute meditation. It was a really long meditation. And they would, at the end of it, they would, they would read this thing and it would be, and say, um, as you inhale, um, let God, as you inhale. And then as you exhale, let go. Right? So on the inhale, let God, let go. And we're, this theme of this weekend is let go. Right? And so much in order to... to to let go. It's got to be on the exhale. For me, it's got to be on the um, inhale, let God. And it's not just in order to let God that I have to let go, but it's also that in order to let go, I have to let God. And um, that, that is my experience. So there's my pitch on let go. And I thought it was a great theme for the weekend. So, um, but, um, but yeah, so I got five minutes. And uh, the other thing I like to talk about was early on, I was going to be going and studying abroad in Australia, and I was so worried. How am I going to do that? How am I going to go and do something like that? And I looked up where the meetings were, and I got a home meeting. And at the time, it was a lot harder to make long-distance calls. There wasn't things like Skype. So I had to get a sponsor out there. I had a woman. We worked the sixth and seventh step together, literally, while I was there. And my, my experience with the steps is I always think it's going to go differently than it does. Um, my first sponsor, we're doing the fourth step. He says, Josh, write down, you know, you're going to go through the columns and do the resentments and do all that stuff. But then also he said, Josh, write down your biggest and darkest secret. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, you want me to do that? And then I knew the fifth step was going to be to read it. So how was I going to possibly ever, you know, share this with him? And I was, you know, so worried about not just um, my resentments that I was going to have to share with him, but also this deepest and darkest secret. And I shared it with him, and he just, it was like no big deal. He was, you know, just loved me just the same and totally um, accepted me. Um, and it was such, it was like such a burden had been lifted um, by doing that. And I was so worried. I remember when he said to write about resentments, I was like, well, I don't have any resentments. <laughs> you know, I don't have to do that. And as I was putting down the food, all this stuff started coming up. Like I resented like airports and libraries and all these things that I had no idea I had all these resentments against. Um, and then, um, you know, we get to the eighth step. It was the same kind of thing. I had these amends 
um, that I had to, you know, these people that I had to write down. I thought, oh, there's no way they're ever going to even take my phone call. They're not going to want to see me in person. You know, they're, they're just going to yell at me. They're not going to want to do it. Are you sure I should do it? And I remember I even called my, my dad's sponsor to see, because I, I asked my dad what he thought. He said, oh, talk to my sponsor, see what he says. And then his advice was, well, my experience is to listen to my sponsor. <laughs> so I listened to my sponsor. I made the phone call. I made the meeting. I flew up and went and saw this person. They were willing to do it. And it went completely differently than Josh thought it would go. And um, that, you know, is the miracle of this program. And it, didn't ma- it doesn't matter how the person reacts when I do my nine-step. What matters is that I make the amends, that I clean up my side of the street. And it's, it, that is an important distinction because before program, all I cared about was, you know, pleasing everyone else. Um, but now it's just I can, you know, take that step back and just try to keep my side of the street clean. And that is enough to, to keep me sane today when I remember. But I forget all the time. And that's why I have to call my sponsor every day. And that's why I have to come to these meetings. That's why I have to come to this convention, you know, and hear the message. And that's why when I got here at 2 o'clock today, all I did was go to the workshops and the marathon meetings because I need to hear the message because I, I have, you know, a disease that wants to tell me I don't have a disease. So I need to hear it. Um, still, 11 years later, I still need to hear it today. Um, my dad has a great line that he likes to say that he'd gotten from an old sponsee of his, which is, you can't stay clean today on yesterday's shower. Um, and it's so true. Um, it's true. And um, I was, I've been calling into phone meetings, which I love. They're a great tool, and I know there's probably a lot of people in here and that would be listening on this podcast that, that do call into phone meetings. I'm very fortunate to be in Los Angeles where we have so many face-to-face meetings that I can go to, but I find it to be a good tool in conjunction with everything else to call into these phone meetings. And I heard on the phone meeting someone say, you can't stay clean today in yesterday's shower. And I was like, oh my God, Dad, <laughs> your reach is gone. So it was kind of cool. Um, but, um, but really, 11 years later, you know, today, it's still got to be, you know, I, st- I can't stay clean today on yesterday's shower. And today, what better way to be able to spend my 11th away birthday than with my fellows and with other compulsive overeaters that have the same disease. And everyone in here is absent for dinner because it was just, there was a beginning and a middle and an end to this dinner. (laughs) And that was it. And um, if you're struggling or if you're new, keep coming back. This is really where the miracle happens. And thanks for letting me ramble for 30 minutes. Out of the mouths of babes, hey? (laughs) Hey, let's thank Josh again.